Welcome to another podcast of White Collar Crimes. A podcast where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I am your host, Ryan Horn. Awesome as always to have you here. For the season finale, this will bring an end to our second season, and we will be starting a third season the uh, day after Labor Day, actually. So, uh, looking forward to seeing you then. September 6th is the date. We will be back on after that, so enjoy a few weeks off. I know the wife and I plan on making a few trips. Got a birthday in between this time and uh, going to enjoy a few things and uh, going to be busy. I'm actually working on two audio books that I'm recording right now, so going to enjoy being busy with that and still enjoying while well, we still have some extra daylight hour. I don't like the heat and humidity of summer where I'm at here, but I do enjoy uh, you know, the extra daylight hours that we still have for now, because, you know, before too long, I love the fall. It's my favorite season, but the downside and the trade-off is, is, you know, the days start getting shorter and, you know, a little bit less time to enjoy things, but, you know, it's, uh, there's always a trade-off for something. So, well, wine can be a pretty lucrative business. A lot of people enjoy wine, you know, uh, in Southern Illinois, where I live, even though compared to the rest of the state, it's a pretty rural, remote part of the state. There are a lot of wineries down here. In fact, uh, there's what's known as the Southern Illinois Wine Trail. You can take little tours and go to all different kinds and, you know, just a popular thing in, you know, all parts of the country. And it's becoming a kind of a lucrative business in the last couple of years. I know what my Facebook ads have been bombarded with different uh, investment opportunities in wine for wine futures and, you know, investing in fine wines and, you know, things of that sort. It's, uh, you know, again, it's a lucrative business, something that's been around for, you know, forever since, you know, almost the dawn of time, people have uh, consumed alcohol, goes quite, quite a ways back and, you know, people enjoy it. It's, you know, mentioned several times in the Bible, you know, it's just a drink and an activity that people enjoy doing. And a lot of people make a lot of money off of it. And that's what everybody seemed to think with tonight's subject, which was is the man by the name of John Fox of Premier Crew Wines. And he ran now what we know to be the nation's largest Ponzi scheme involving wine. Now, again, I you know have to say this a lot, but if you're new and you don't know, new listener, you don't know what uh, a Ponzi scheme is, it's basically where you put up a front of a can't-miss investment and you offer ridiculous insane made up returns and you know as long as you have new people continually coming in you have money to pay people that want to cash out and get out but you know when people stop investing and you know that money's gone because the ponzi scheme artist has you know blown it on himself and that's what they do in these schemes and scams instead of investing it which is what they're supposed to take that money for they take it and you know live high off the hog as the saying goes and that's what Mr. Fox did. His wine company operated out of Berkeley, California, which, you know, we all know California's wine country anyway. That's where a lot of, uh, you know, you've got the Napa Valley wines and things like that. You know, there's, you know, good weather year round to grow the grapes and, you know, and do the things that are involved in the winemaking process. So it, you know, stands to reason it's a good place to operate businesses like that. And, you know, he was in the hub of it all, so to speak. And, you know, he had an advantage in pulling off a Ponzi scheme compared to a lot of other types of Ponzi schemes, I think, is for the simple matter, he could bide time right out of the gate. Because when you invest in wine or a winery or something of that effect, it's something down the road in the future. You know, if you're going to invest in wine, you should not, 
do it expecting a quick return. You know, as we know, the wine process takes a long time to make. And, uh, you know, it's not something that, that takes, you know, something you can do overnight. So I always laugh at one of my favorite scenes in the movie, The Jerk, where Navin Johnson tells the waiter to bring out some fresh wine, something this year, you know, because he's not really bright. And, uh, you know, he doesn't understand that, you know, fresh wine's not going to be very good. It's, you know, it has to age and ferment and it's a long drawn out process. So when you invest in wine, you, you know, it's for the long haul. And like I said, wine futures have become really popular in the last few years. I don't know, maybe some of you have seen them advertised on Facebook feeds and and things of that sort. And, you know, Fox made good money getting a lot of investors. He offered these unique elite wines that maybe other people weren't offering or could get. uh, So they thought they were buying. And, you know, again, he took the money rather than invest and actually buy these wines or develop them. He was living, as the saying goes again, high on the hog. He uh, had luxury homes, cars you name it. He was living very well. And he also uh, used that money to live very well with the ladies. He was uh, quite the ladies man with the money he was making off his scam. And he was known to spend a great deal of money meeting women online, particularly through like escort services and things of that sort. And he was paying a lot of, you know, really young, beautiful women, a lot of money for sex and company and things like that. But that would also contribute to his downfall later. And it's reported that he was said to have cooperated with investigators when he was explaining this scam. Uh, And he did later explain how he did this. And again, you know, his love for young women and escorts and things like that played a role in that. But what he did, he filled quote-unquote ghost orders for these elite wines, which he did not fill or had any intention of filling, you know. And, you know, was actually knowing that he was not able to ever actually get these or he had no intention to get these, but the fact of the matter, he took the money and ran, you know, and again, these are things that people expect might take a while to get. So people probably weren't calling for the money back on their investment as quickly as people might on other types of investments. And again, that's the advantage he had on this scam. He was able to go a long time because, you know, okay, well, it may take a while to get this elite wine, but you know, when it comes in, you'll get it. So people, have patience. They don't ask questions for a while, so he can take that money and really live the good life. And he did just that. You know, and again, people probably don't ask questions for quite a ways down the road. And it said he kept this up for about a 20-year period, which is a pretty good long while for a Ponzi scheme. Not all of them last this long. We've had some others, you know, Madoff pulled off some of his scams for a long time before something was done, but a good chunk of them don't really go this long. Most of them you know, the carpet gets pulled out, the rug gets pulled out from under them a lot sooner, and the deal's over, and they get exposed, people start wanting their money back, they're unable to do it, and, you know, the whole thing folds and collapses, you know, because we said that's what happens in a Ponzi scheme. You're fine as long as you have new investors coming in and and ponying up the money, but when people start wanting money back, and you run out of money to give them, and you don't have new people coming in to funnel that money to, then your Ponzi scheme collapses. you know, that's how it works. It goes all the way back to Charles Ponzi, the inventor of the Ponzi scheme, you know, over a hundred years ago. Like I said, he liked to, you know, spend that money very lavishly. And, you know, I guess it didn't really draw any red flags because he had a, you know, what everybody thought was a successful wine business in the heart of wine country there in California. So didn't really draw a lot of red flags or anything like that. I said he was enjoying the company of a lot of uh, very, uh, 
young and beautiful ladies of the night, shall we say. Um, one of the problems with that, though, is he was married with children. And one of these escorts, I believe her name pronounced is Seol Kim Yu, she blackmailed him and extorted him into payments, basically by threatening to expose their relationship because, you know, he had, you know, at least a lot of money, wasn't legit, you know, it was through the scam, but, you know, nonetheless, a divorce that cleans out a lot of people financially. You don't have to be rich to take a hard financial hit from a divorce. You know, I've seen it, you know, through friends and even family over the years, you know, not too many friends or family of mine are wealthy people, but I do know uh, divorces have put some that I've known and, you know, people I've grown up with and, and whatnot in, you know, some financial binds for a while. It's uh, usually a financially devastating event. And, uh, you know, that was something she held over him because, you know, if she exposed the relationship he had with her and probably some of these other ladies of the night, then that's going to blow his uh, scam wide open and collapse everything and bring his divorce uh, about and destroy his family, you know, stood to lose everything. But just like any Ponzi scheme, not only did he run out of money to pay his wine investors, he actually ran out of money to pay her, his blackmailer. So at this point, he decides, you know, the it's up, it's over. So uh, he runs out of money to pay her. So he decides to, uh, you know, go ahead and cooperate with investigators and come clean. And it was kind of running out of time for him as well on his wine business because people were, after years of a time here, were wanting their wines. And they weren't getting them. They got one story or delay after another. And, you know, there's it, there's an episode of this on American Greed. You can catch this story on there as well. And, you know, the one of the ladies that was, the you know, at the service desk there said, you know, there were some people that just came in. I'm taking this right off the shelf and there's nothing you can do about it. And she said, you know, this was, you know, moments before that she knew, you know, things weren't right and things were collapsing around them. And she said, you know, I wasn't going to stop them. What am I going to do? You know, these people had a right to be angry and uh, want what they had coming. So... You know, his business was collapsing. His relationship with, uh, you know, some of his mistresses is collapsing. Soon to be, you know, his marriage and children and family life as well. So, again, he decides to go ahead and cooperate with the authorities and the investigators. And he reported Miss Yum. I'm sorry, it wasn't Miss You. Miss Yum, I think, was her last name. And he uh, reports her extortion and blackmail efforts. But it only resulted in her getting about a month in jail, you know, despite, you know, what she did was illegal. And I guess, you know, she did at least get convicted of it. But they found out that, you know, she was doing this to other men as well. So, you know, he probably wasn't the only what she thought was a wealthy, pow powerful businessman she was putting the screws to like this. So, uh, you know, he did expose her scam. You know, I figure, I guess he figured he had nothing to lose. So he goes ahead and, you know, rats on her and gets her taken down. But like I said, she only gets about a month in jail out of this. Now, he ripped people off. Like I said, he had a scam going for about 20 years and ripped people off of over $45 million. You know, that's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, especially for a wine scam, you know. I mean, there's not been a lot of white-collar crime stories that I can think of that involve a Ponzi scheme with wine. But, you know, this is a case where that is just exactly that. And uh, he was looking at altogether about 20 years for his financial crimes here for, you know, the Ponzi scheme that he had run and by defrauding investors and things like that. But 
since he did cooperate with investor uh, investigators and show how he ran his scam and you know ratted on Miss Yum and a few other people, he managed to uh, only end up getting sentenced to 78 months. So you're talking six and a half years, you know, when he was looking, you know, at uh, you know quite a bit more than that, you know, and uh, so it ended up working out, you know, quite well for him. He got, you know, probably you know, about a third of what he, you know, could have been looking at. So all in all, you know, he didn't do too badly considering what he was looking at. And he was also ordered to pay back over $45 million in restitution, which again, we talk about that all the time on this podcast as well. Very few of these uh, white collar criminals actually do follow through and pay these. You know, I would like to see if there's a research done out there about what percentage of these white collar offenders actually do pay these back in full. You know, I mean, like I know Jordan Belford, I think the Wolf of Wall Street had made a small, very small amount toward what all he owed. But to my knowledge, he's not paid anywhere near, you know, what he was supposed to. And, you know, on and on. There's so many of them that get, uh, you know, sentenced to do this as a part of their sentence. And, you know, very few of them do. And that's sad because, as I've said on here many times before as well, that is oftentimes the only recourse victims of white collar crime have for their uh, victim, you know, their victimhood here, being victimized by a white-collar offender. You know, so many times there's little to nothing done in criminal court, and, you know, getting back through civil court in a lawsuit sometimes is the only compensation folks are going to get in this, and they don't always get that. But he was ordered to pay back the $45 million that he ripped off to over 9,000 customers. You know, it's a lot of people, uh, you know, so... A lot of angry people that got ripped off by Premier Crew Wines. I found out he was recently released about a year and a half ago in uh, February 2021. He was released. He served his 72 months, I guess, in federal prison. And he was ordered to pay this money back and supposedly as a condition of his federal probation upon release because, you know, they report to probation when they're released. That's the feds don't have parole anymore. They have federal probation, which is kind of a combination of probation and parole. But he's supposed to pay that back as a condition of that release. And if he does not pay it back, you know, within a certain amount of time, my understanding is he can be ordered to continue and pay it. And, you know, I see that in probation here at my job and in the area where I'm at here. There are people that get these kind of cases and, you know, sometimes they're not able to pay the fines by the time they are you know, finished with their probation, and most of the time around here that I've seen, you know, if it's not an exorbitant amount of money, they just turn it over to a collection agency and then go that route, you know, they don't like a lot of times if it's not a great amount of money, you know, revoking someone's probation or keeping them on probation just for, you know, having to pay fines or, or fees or something, and, you know, there's actually a Supreme Court case, and I can't remember it, I've taught it some in my classes, can't remember the case off the top of my head, but you know, the Supreme Court ruled that, you know, if somebody is indigent and they can't truly pay it back, and if that's the only thing they violated and that's the only reason they haven't paid, they just actually can't, then, you know, you can't actually just, you know, use that to hang over them and revoke them and, and keep it going. But I don't know if that's the case with this guy. We'll see. Now that he's out, he can rebuild it, but unfortunately he's out and around. And as I say on this podcast, oftentimes, many times over and over, he is also free to go out and offend again now, you know, and he's got time to work on another scam and things like that. Now, he defrauded all types of people. You know, like I said, over 9,000 people. 
And uh, he said at his sentencing, though, he felt bad for the victims, and he intended to pay the full rest restitution. He intends to pay back all the $45 million. How, you ask? Well, his plan, he said, was to take courses in computer science while he's in prison, get his computer science degree, and, quote, become a billionaire. You know, as they say in the movie Dodgeball, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out, if it pays off for him, you know. Uh, no indication yet if this has worked out and what he's done. You know, if we get any more information down the road on this, um, I will certainly, you know, do a little follow-up on it. You know, as we have with some of the other cases recently, you know, with the uh, situation with U.S. Bank and some of the scams unfolding with that. Uh, recently, we had just a quick little update on Michael Avenatti, you know, the quote-unquote creepy porn lawyer. And if we get any updates on what he's up to or if he's made any progress or strides toward actually paying his restitution, we will certainly keep you up to date on that. Or, you know, if he did manage to become successful and actually become a billionaire, you know, kudos to him for that. Uh, only time shall see. But, uh, you know, if you're going to invest in wine, be careful. You know, the next John Fox might be out there waiting to scam you. And as I always say, I ask to keep an eye on your friends and family, especially elderly, you know, your parents, grandparents, people who are oftentimes victimized by white-collar crimes and they're targeted specifically for white-collar crimes. You know, keep an eye on those folks because that's who we have to look out for the most. They are the ones that are victimized the most. And uh, again, this is the last episode that we are having for season three. I'm just thrilled that you've been along on the ride this whole time. And, you know, our audience has grown in the last year and we hope it'll grow even more coming up in season three. We want to keep getting the word out there and exposing the crimes that, you know, that don't get a lot of attention because white collar crime just doesn't get the media attention that street crime and violent crime does and whatnot, even though People are often victimized and their lives are ruined for longer periods of time by these types of crimes. So we want to continue to get the word out and expose that. And if you have any ideas for a podcast, you know, my wife just recently gave me one that we did on Cherry Hills Fats. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've had people contact me and you can contact me on our Anchor FM page. Um, you can email me at ryanhornvt uh, at gmail.com. And if you got an idea for a show or if you want to be on here as a guest, we've had both people uh, that listen to this podcast send ideas for shows and we've had some come on as a guest be glad to do either one with you and uh, follow us on our facebook page white collar crimes support your local pet shelter uh, we've got some recently on one in my area that uh, it's shared on our facebook page it's in need of donations because of flooding and things that's going on and unfortunately it's still going on as i record this in my area so hopefully that changes soon. A lot of people underwater right now, and we, we definitely got to get that fixed and taken care of, and hopefully things kind of dry out and weather mellows out a little bit. But, you know, we certainly ask, uh, you know, for any ideas, and you follow our Facebook page, uh, you know, and you can donate to us on the Anchor FM page. We do appreciate that. That helps keep us going strong. And, you know, like I always say, too, uh, if you're in need of any type of uh, voiceover service work, I do that. In fact, I'm narrating two different uh, audio books right now for publishing companies and, you know, get those finished up. I'd be glad to help you with your project. Um, we, you know, again, certainly uh, just enjoy having you along for the ride each week and we will continue to be out uh, new episodes every Tuesday night as we come up into season three. Hard to believe it, but uh, we're getting close there. And again, it's been exciting to have you along for the ride and 
you know, hopefully just all kinds of new ideas coming up here for this next year. And, you know, we hope you're along for the ride for it. And uh, if you're just now joining this or, you know, if you've been with us from day one, we do sincerely appreciate having you on here. You know, love doing this and bringing it to you and hope we can continue to do this for a while. So thank you for being part of it. Uh, God bless and take care, everybody. We will see you after Labor Day, September 6th. Take care, everybody.